0: I've got a word for you today. Poke your neighbor and say, "Pastor's got a word for you today." Here, here's the. Uh, uh, if you're on U version, you can you can uh, you do U version notes. If you don't know how to do that, if you'll ask somebody after service, we'll help you with that. But all the notes are in there. You can fill out. You can save it and refer back to it at any time. But uh, here's the sermon uh, subject this morning: Is there help for me if I am depressed? Poke your neighbor and say, is there help for me if I'm depressed? Wow. Is there help for me if I'm depressed? I believe there is, and we're going to talk about that here this morning. First Kings chapter 19. If you've been in church a while, you, you're familiar with this story, but I, I'm going to possibly hit from a, a, a few different angles this morning, and I know I've got a word for you today. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, and we're going to begin reading verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 19. So if you've got it, pull out your Bibles, whatever they are, however they are on the devices or paper Bibles or however, and uh, and we're going to read in the NIV version, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 2. If you're there, shout out a good amen. amen. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that, like that of one of them. In other words, I'm going to kill you. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, bush, excuse me. sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord," he said. "Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors." Then that's severe depression. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, "Get up and eat." He looked around and there, by his head, was some bread baked and on over hot coals, and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord, in verse number nine or seven, excuse me came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, If God's ever asking you a question, he's not looking for information. He's trying to get you to see what he sees, right? Right? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I mean, it's doom, gloom, and despair for this guy. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After a fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Second question. And it's as if Elijah almost thinks that God didn't hear him the first time. So he's going to help God out. Verse 14 and 15. He replied, word for word, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. As if, God, I really need you to see where I'm at, my condition. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back where you came from. Get out of this gloom, doom, and despair. Pick the seat of your britches up, and go back where you got into this funk. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. Where you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. In other words, I've got a, I got a job for you to do. i got a mission for you. I'm not done with you yet. You said I've had enough. Let me die. My job for you is not over yet. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Maholah to succeed you as prophet. I'm speaking to somebody who's up in age today, and the Lord's saying to tell you, your time is not yet, it's not time for your death. Pick up yourself and do the ministry that he's called you to. Some of the greatest work Elijah did came after this, depression. I'm going to get to it in a minute. The devil will try to beat you down and say, well, you're depressed. You went through a season of depression. You can't be used by God. That's liar, liar, pants on fire. Yes. Yes. Amen. He anointed two kings and a prophet to take his place. And that prophet did twice the miracles he ever did. Just because you've been through a hard season of depression doesn't mean God can't use you. Man, i come to proclaim freedom to somebody in here today. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death those who escaped the sword of Jehu. Last two verses, and we can be seated. Yet I reserve, God said, you ain't alone, boy. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him." Man, I feel the fire of God inside of me. In other words, you ain't alone. The devil's trying to tell you you're alone. You ain't alone. There's 7,000 more out there that haven't bowed down to this world and the world's systems that serve Jesus is what he's saying, or God in this case. So Elijah went from there, found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Father, I thank you for the word you've given me. I thank you, Father God, for the... For the proclamation of your word and the declaration of your word. And I believe with all my heart, Father God, that your mighty hand is here with us today. I ask, O Lord, you would anoint me to speak forth your word. Not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. Father, I pray let the word of God flow this morning into our hearts. And let us open our eyes to see what the Spirit is saying. According to Luke 24, 45, Lord Jesus, open our mind to understand the scripture now. Anoint me, God, to preach forth in, in in power and in might, not just in word and tongue, but power and deed. And Father, we we'll thank you for this. Let the seed fall in the good soil of our hearts. And grow, and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. We pray for our country, bring a great awakening. We pray for our leaders from the president all the way down that they would make decisions based on the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Unify our nation, O God, and under the banner of Christianity, bring a great last day revival to us. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody set? Amen. Amen. Hold, your, hold your Bibles up in whatever form they are. And let's boldly declare, Father. Today. This week. By your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five two or three people and say, God's got a word for you today. Many years ago, a, uh, a young Midwestern lawyer suffered from such deep depression that his family and friends thought it best to keep the knives and razors away from him. True story. They, they were concerned he was going to kill his life, take his life. He, he questioned his life's calling and the prudence of even trying to follow through on something like that. He, he wrote for all of us to read, I am now the most miserable miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. He never thought he was going to get out of this funk, out of this deep depression that he was in, that his family was concerned he was going to kill himself. He was a young Midwestern lawyer that wasn't doing well in life, and his name was Abraham Lincoln. You never know what some people are going to go through. In 1 Kings chapter 19, this comes on the heels of one of Elijah's highest moments. For those of you that were with me in Israel a few weeks ago, I've taken you to the very spot where he prayed down fire on Mount Carmel. Man, he, 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 you know, if God be God, then let fire come down. I mean, fire comes down. And he gets rid of the prophets of Baal. He kills them all. He destroys the sin in the camp. He, he outruns the chariot all the way through the Valley of Jezreel. For those of you that me, you remember how far it was. I mean, it's it's miracle after miracle. I mean, he is he's on the euphoric high of high. And I want to tell you, sometimes when you're on the highest of highs in ministry or in your life, look out because there's many times an attack coming. By verse 2, Jezebel doesn't like what's happening, and she begins to threaten him. Now, she couldn't really kill him. It was an empty threat, but Elijah bought the lie. And what will happen is to many people is you will be doing things for God, and then he'll say, well, don't get any closer to God because the devil's going to attack you. Don't serve on the dream team because, man, then the devil's really going to come after you. Let me tell you something. If the devil could have killed you, he'd already done it. And whatever the devil can do and has tried to do, he's already done. Let me tell you something. You don't fear the devil. He fears you. Verse 3, Elijah runs for his life, as you see in your Bible. And I want you to look at verse 3 very particular. And I'm going to go back to these verses here in a minute. The Bible says he made it as far as Beersheba, and then he left his servant so he could be off on his own. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, dumb, dumb, dumb. When you get depressed and distraught in your heart, the first thing you want to do is run and isolate yourself. Which is exactly what the devil wants. He wants you to isolate yourself so that you get in a funk and you are meat on Satan's table. Elijah does everything wrong in this chapter. He runs for his life and then he says, Well, I don't even want to be around you anymore. I'm going to go off and be by myself. When you are by yourself, you are meat on Satan's table. Verse 4, he says, I am just let me die. I mean, can't you just see him? Let me die. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now he's comparing himself with people that with other people. Anytime you compare yourself with someone else, one of two things happens every single time. One, you see yourself as better than them, so now pride sets in, and that's disastrous. Two, you see yourself as less than them, and now depression comes in, and you feel like you're on the lowest of lows. He's comparing himself. He's off by himself. This is not about to go well. Let me tell you something. We cannot stop the enemy from attacking, but we want to know how do we overcome, right? So here's the definition of depression, and I want you to catch this, and, and I want you to really catch a hold. This is going to be a very practical message, but a very serious one because this is a real deal going across America right now. Depression is a mood disorder characterized by anhedonia. That's a real word, which is the inability to enjoy anything anymore. It's the inability to feel pleasure for anything. Extreme sadness, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite, and feeling of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. Let me ask you something. Does anybody in here believe that's the way God wants us to live? Not a one of us. We have to understand this is serious. Right now, the latest statistics in the United States of America are that one out of every nine people are taking medication for depression. One out of nine are taking medicine for it. The other eight out of nine, some of them are depressed, and they're just not telling anybody. Depression is now becoming the number one health problem in the world right now. That means we need to figure out what the answer is, right? Today's young women are more depressed on average than their mothers were at the same age and even younger. Why? Why were they saying that? Here's what experts are saying. Increased economic pressure to contribute to family income. So now they've got three or four kids, and they're trying to work 50 hours a week, and they're trying to wash clothes, cook dinner, clean the house, run them to three sports each, and then they wonder why they're depressed and they want to cry and they don't want to live anymore. Because they're going crazy. And there's too much on their plate. Changing role in society. The inability to meet their own expectations—it's a there's a sense of having lost control. These are what experts are saying now that don't even—they're not Christians. These are psychological experts saying these are the this is we have a problem in society. Listen, she taught on doubt last week. This week, I'm talking about depression. Next week, is your life valuable? Does your life mean anything? If you know somebody that needs that, they need to be here, amen? So let's let's answer this question about depression because we need to remove the stigma of depression. If I was to walk in here and tell you, man, I feel like I got a scratchy throat. My nose is running. You wouldn't think anything about it. you say, oh, he's getting sick. But if I walk in here and I say, man, I'm depressed, you'd look at me funny. Why? Because there's some kind of stigma that says we should never be depressed. But I want to tell you something. As, as your body can be sick, your, your soul and your mind can get sick too. Not your spirit, man, but your soul, your emotions, your mind can get sick too. Listen, it's okay to not be okay. What's not okay, because your mind can get sick. What's not okay is to not be okay and try to do through it on your own. Anytime you isolate yourself, Satan is gonna say he's gonna pulverize you because you're already down. What's not okay is to not be okay and be by yourself. It is not a sin to be sick, whether it be physically, mentally, or emotionally. That's not a sin. We have to take the stigma away. People get depressed. We need to get real. Look, if you're new here, if you're watching by Facebook, we don't we don't pull any punches here. We get real with real issues, right? There are times that I feel down. There are times I say, Holly, I don't know, I just feel so down today. And we pray and I go to the prayer closet and I start going through, you know, what's, what's going on. It's okay to peel the mask off and get real. Yeah, yeah. A year and a half ago, the pastor of the largest church in America, they run 50,000. They literally have 50,000 people showing up. Not 50,000 on the rolls and they run like 10,000. They got like 50,000 people on campuses everywhere that run across. And I was sitting in a conference with him and he said, I got so depressed a year and a half ago. This was October 2017. He said, I was done. He said, I don't mean just done. He said, I had an exit plan. I had a plan. I was going to get a normal job. It was done. I had every everything was already set in motion. But he said I was smart enough to call my pastor and my mentor. And he said, my pastor, my mentor said, don't don't leave the church in October. you got the holidays coming. It's a terrible time. Finish the year out. And he said, and then participate in the 21-day fast in January. If after that you feel like you're done, then go ahead and quit. And he stood in that conference last year, October 2018. He said, well, I'm still here. And he said, everything I feared that was going to happen, none of it happened. And everything the devil stole, God paid me back and even more. Look, if, if, if great men of God and great people of God in the Bible in today's day can suffer from a, from, a, from a thing of depression, we need not think that we're exempt from it. And we also need not be ashamed. We need to open up and tell somebody because when you turn the lights on, the cockroaches scatter, amen? We got to get real. You're always as sick as your secrets, amen? He was smart enough not to carry it on his own. We need to stay involved in church, What happens is we get a little depressed and we think, well, I'm just going to stay home from church or I'm not going to go to small group. That's what the devil wants. Get yourself to small group in church. Tell somebody when they say, how are you doing? Don't give them the patent answer that says, oh, everything is great. Say, you know what? Right now life sucks. And I'm depressed and I I don't even want to be here this morning. Well, let me pray for you in the lobby so God will change that before you ever hit the doors. Is it okay to preach real? Is it okay to be real? Man, stay involved in the body of Christ if you're suffering from depression. Church services like this, small groups are catalysts to bring change, to help you, amen, and to walk it out. Look, moments are great. Moments are great because they inspire you to make change. They inspire you to do something, but they don't ensure that you stay that way. When you are depressed, make a decision to make no decision. When you are depressed, everybody say this with me when I am depressed, make a decision to make no decisions. Right. Listen, when you're in a bad place, when you're sick, when you're depressed, don't listen to yourself. You're the worst counselor in the world at that point. Why would you listen to yourself when you're depressed and in the molly grubs? Amen? Amen. I know some, I, this, we're getting real here today and I'm just starting this thing. Here's a great thing, I, here's a great quote I, I, I ran across about depression. We were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. And that's why society is depressed. Here's the good news. If it can be created by your lifestyle, then it can be changed by your lifestyle. And make some changes. And we're going to talk about six things. Here's the six things that I could find causing depression in people right now. Six things that is going on. What are the six main things causing depression for people in the United States right now? Number one, are you ready? Out of control schedules. Is what you're doing doable? Okay, great, but is it sustainable? Can you sustain what you're doing? Ecclesiastes 4.6 says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Wow, we need to have an open hand for whatever God brings our way. However, when you add something to your schedule, what are you going to subtract? Because you can't just keep adding to the plate. If you do, you're going to get over budget. It's like a budget financially, right? The s- a simple principle, don't spend more than you make, right? If you spend more than you make, you're always going to run around and be a wreck and be a mess. If you need $3,000 a month to survive and you spend $3,000 a month to survive, you have no margin margin means if it takes me three thousand a month to live and I and I only shell out 2500 a month I have a $500 budget I uh, margin every month I put it in the bank it's amazing how much better you sleep at night when there's a little money in the bank it's amazing when you don't budget yourself to equal why because when you do when you don't if you, God forbid a tire blowout you flip your rocker because where am I going to get money to buy a tire listen. It's, the, it's that principle of financial responsibility. If you have trouble with budgets and finances, we've got an answer for you. Steve Lawrence, would you stand up, please? Steve's going to stand. Steve is now retired. He's retired from his work. He's excited, him and Pat both. Keep standing, keep standing. Keep standing, Lieutenant Colonel, amen. And he's an expert. He's helped countless amount of people with finances. If you need some help, see Steve Lawrence right there, amen. But back to the point of the message is this. If you keep adding to your schedule and adding to your schedule, oh, yeah, sure, let's let the kids have four sports each. Okay, so we have five kids, four sports each. That means I'm a taxi cab driver for 20 sports. And I'm also going to cook meals, wash clothes, try to work in there, pay all the bills, go buy new cars. No wonder Americans are having a frazzled moment ready to blow their brains out. Look, we got to get control of our schedules. They're out of control. If you add something, you have to subtract something and create margin. If you don't have margin, what's going to happen when somebody takes too long and makes you wait at a red light? You blow your gasket because you needed that 30 seconds desperately. Look, if we're to a point where we're blowing gaskets over a 30-second red light because we don't have time to wait for it, there's something wrong with our schedules. Somewhere along the way, we've got to get control of this. I told you this is going to be practical. Amen? If there's no freedom in your calendar, there's no room for errors, mishaps, or problems. It's going to create stress and ultimately depression because you feel like you can never get out of it. You're in a rat race. I'm just stuck in this wicked cycle. And it's the same way financially. Man, get involved in a small group. People will help you with that. Amen? Amen? There are people out there to help you balance your schedule. Number two, here we go, ready? Number two, the culture of comparison. This is demonic. We have turned into a narcissistic society, especially social media-wise. Let me, let me just hear my heart for just a second. Are you ready? Because, man, I'm, a, I'm probably an equal opportunity offender here this morning. We're just going to hit it all, amen? I'm concerned about the church in America and people in America. Social media experts are now going around apologizing to the United States of America because they realize social media has not helped society, it's hurt society. Here's what happens. You ready? We turn on, we pull up Facebook and Instagram, and we spend hours watching people's highlights. Do you know what a highlight is? If I'm a high school football player, and I go out there, and I want a college to give me a scholarship, am I going to send them all my fumbles, my interceptions, my missed blocks, and my missed tackles? No. I'm going to send them the best of the best. I'm going to send out my touchdowns, my great blocks, everything I do to the best of my ability, I'm going to send them what's called the highlights. You know, every time you turn on and you open up Facebook and you open up Instagram, you know what you're seeing? People's highlights. Name me one person that posts their miserable moments. And you're in a miserable low moment in life and you just feel like throwing in the towel and you go for two hours and you watch everyone's highlights and then what do you want to do? Woe is me. Why is this not happening in my life? Guess what? Those people are having miserable moments too, but they're not posting that. They're posting their highlights. So you're looking at their highlights while you're in the lowest of lows, and what does it make you feel like? You want to get lower and lower. It's simple logic, folks. we got to be careful with this stuff. I know this probably isn't popular, preaching this morning, but I'm telling you, we need to hear this. And listen, if you're a one-upper, your destination is the land of depression every time. Pastor, what is a one-upper? No matter what else someone has done, you've done it better. If they snorkeled the Grand Cayman Islands and they swam and played with the stingrays, by God, you dove the Great Barrier Reef and wrestled 20-foot great white sharks. You ever met one-uppers? If a one-upper meets somebody that, that, that summited Mount Everest, they ate lunch on the moon. I mean, it, they just done it better. Here's the problem. Here's why it leads to a land of depression always. Because there's always somebody else out there that has done more than you, has more than you, and been to more places than you. And you just can't keep up with everybody. Don't be a one-upper. I mean, poke your neighbor and say, don't be a one-upper. They ain't going to help you. The extreme desire for money is also something that's going to lead you to depression. I feel so sorry for Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank. Six point something billion dollars. And I've heard him more than once say, the only thing I care about in life is to wake up tomorrow richer than I am today. Dear God, you couldn't, a million dollars a day you can spend and you still couldn't blow through all your money in a lifetime. That is leading people to a land of depression. Contentment, godly contentment is the answer for this. Amen? Here's what the Bible says. You want to see the Bible? Amen. I do. Let's see it. Amen. 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. I've done hundreds of funerals. I've never seen a U-Haul heading that way. But if we have food and clothing, we will be what? Content with that. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There have been people because they've been so hungry for money they've left Jesus. They've walked away from the faith. Small groups that help with that. Number three, ruminating. What is that? that? That means you mull over in your mind the distress and think on what's wrong, and you never create solutions. It's like a cow chewing the cud. They swallow it. They spit it back up. They chew it some more. They swallow it, and they do that over and over. Let me tell you, it happens with pastors. Sunday nights, pastors will spit up that one bad sentence. They'll throw up in their mouth of the one bad sentence that they wish they could take back. Never mind people got saved. Never mind people were blessed. They're going to ruminate over and over that wrong thing. They, one wrong thing they said is going to eat them up. For those of you that are not pastors, you're gonna, it's gonna, if you're a perfectionist, you're going to throw up in your mouth that one detail you didn't get just right on the job or in that proposal. And you'll eat it up. It's the same thing. It works with anger. You think about it. What happens? You ruminate it in your mind over and over and over. What happens? You're getting mad as a hornet. You're ready to strangle somebody. Well, in the case of depression, you feel worse and worse and worse until finally you just want to give up on life. My Lord, this is true. Small groups will help with that. People will get, get, help talk you out of your funk. Amen? Point number 4, inability to process disappointment, weariness and pain. Again, this is this is what this is what psychologists are basically saying. Look, you're either let me let me be the bearer of great news today. You ready? You're either coming out of a bad day, you're in a bad day or you're going into a bad day. That's just life. And the world's answer, the devil's answer for that is depression. God's answer is he'll give you joy in the midst of the storm. Somebody say amen. Look, we medicate ourselves. How do we do that? Well, you may binge watch. Maybe you binge watch movies and TV. You just want to get away, right? You find some way to, to self-medicate yourself. Here's a good one. Here, here. You ready for this one? I'm already in the lowing of the lows. And I'm not beating up on anybody because I used to drink a lot. I'm already depressed in the low of the lows. So I got an idea let me go drink a bunch of alcohol and get drunk and drown myself in sorrows, which is a depressant. I'm already depressed. Let me go add more depressants. It's not an upper. It's a downer. It doesn't even make sense logically. Small groups will help introduce you to people that will help you walk through this stuff. That's what our church is here for. Amen? Number five, isolation and loneliness. Latest statistics I can find, 78% of pastors say they have no friends. That's almost 8 out of 10 pastors. I I have lots of friends. Praise God. People love me. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Oh, praise God. Get, Get into a small group. Connect with some people. God never meant you to handle life on your own. Small groups is a place to connect and protect and grow and just connect with people. I love my small group. I love connecting with each and every one of you when I can. Amen? Here's the good news. You don't have to be alone or lonely. And then the sixth one is a biblical one, and that is this. Spiritual warfare is real. Look, you have an enemy, and he works harder, I believe, to stop us than we do to stop him. Listen to me. Prayer is not just communion and fellowship with God and asking for stuff. Prayer should also confront the devil. Listen, you have to tell the devil sometimes, not today, bucko. In the name of Jesus, I'm the one with the authority, amen, and I'm taking over. If you never go into spiritual warfare in prayer, you will be defeated. If prayer is only every time, all you do is worship and ask for a bunch of stuff, and you never confront the devil and battle him in prayer, you will lose. Small groups that help you with people that help teach you how to pray, amen? Look, the enemy attacks leaders. If you're a spiritual leader, then you've signed up for spiritual warfare. And you say, well, that's you, Pastor. No, no, no. If you're serving somewhere on the dream team, if you're on guest services, in kids' ministry, in worship ministry, you have signed up for spiritual warfare, but the good news is you are victorious. Now, now John 10, 1 tells us this. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. So, so he may can not get through the front gate, but we can open side windows and let him in. And we can let the devil in through pride, unforgiveness, hatred, bitterness, lust, gossip, lying, unbelief, all those things. We need to have no open doors because stra- Satan is a strategist. Listen, spiritual tax is usually an open door. All through the Bible we find people, they, they had an open door in their life and they, it allowed the enemy to come in. Uh, I, I think there are two people in the Bible that had no open doors and they still got attacked. Which means that you can still be attacked without an open door. So don't open the door. The first one is obvious and that's Jesus. Jesus had zero open doors. He was perfect in every way. Yet the devil still came and attacked him and tempted him three times, came talking to him. I want to tell you something. If the devil's talking to you, that's a good sign because it means he's afraid of you. He was afraid of Jesus, so he came talking to him, trying to get him to sin. When he comes talking to you, trying to get you to sin, it's because he's afraid of who you are in Christ. The second one is Elijah who attacked through Jezebel. Now listen, Satan either attacks before a great victory or after a great victory. With these two men, with Jesus, he attacked before a great victory. With Elijah, it was after the great victory. So, if you're being attacked by the enemy right now and you haven't got victory, I got good news for you. Victory's right now on the horizon. If you've had victory and no recent attacks from the enemy, look out because there's one coming at the end. But here's the deal. You can't lose in Christ Jesus. Amen? Both Jesus and Elijah were physically exhausted and tired when the devil attacked. Matthew 4, 2 through 3. I want you to listen to this. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Wow. He's not just a strategist, but an opportunist. He waits for the perfect moment to try to come in and get you to a land of sin and depression. Luke 4, 13. When the devil had finished... All this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Look, we're kidding ourselves if we don't realize the enemy's going to come after us at an opportune time. But i got good news for you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Zechariah 13, 7 says this. Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Listen, Satan attacks spiritual leaders so he can scatter the sheep. If you're a small group leader, he wants you to quit. Yeah. Throw in the towel, give up. Why? Because you've got a little flock there following you. He wants you to give up so it causes them harm. Yeah. But we can't quit because it's not about us. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. He wants to attack you to quit so you will scatter the sheep. He wants to get you to quit doing guest services and quit ministering in the kids' ministry and quit working in, in, in set-up team and tear-down team and on the worship team and everywhere else in the church. Why? Because when you're not serving, it leaves the door open to scatter the sheep. And he, that's what the devil wants. Your staying involved in the work of God is about other people concerning Christ, not about us. You may be the very person on a given Sunday that God is going to use to get somebody saved right there in the lobby. Or to bring breakthrough and freedom to them and healing. Wow. Man, Satan attacked the righteousness of Job. He attacked Peter and Elijah and other great men. I want to tell you, we may not be them, but we are the leaders of today. So what's the answer? And I won't be much longer. What did Elijah do to get out of, out, of, out of depression? Read your Bible in verse 5. I want you to see this. Check this out. Verse 5, everybody look. When you're, when you're at verse 5, I want you to shout out, I'm here. Well, we got two people there. I'm not going to have it on the overhead. Everybody shout out, I'm here if you got it. Look at your Bibles. Wow. We're in verse 5. So he says, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, I, I, there's no question depression is linked to suicide. I got a text from a pastor friend not far from here. Kid raised in the church as a teenager, took his own life last night at eleven thirty. A church kid. He got so depressed he felt the only answer was just take my life. that's what that's where Elijah is. I'm done. just just get I'm done. Bible says he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. I, I want you to notice something. What's the first thing that you need to do? The first thing Elijah did was he lay down and slept. He took a nap. Look, there is when you're physically exhausted. I don't know about you. When I'm physically exhausted, I am more susceptible to the enemy than any other time. Just just chill out and take a nap. Amen. All at once, the Bible says. An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. The second thing you'll notice here is the angel didn't show up to help him until Elijah slowed down. And it very well may be that the prayers you're praying, God, I need your help. And God is saying, well, when you slow down, I'll show up. You may be hindering your own prayers. What's the third thing you see here? He didn't tell him, listen. I I don't want to dispiritualize what I'm saying to you here this morning. But the angel didn't say, Elijah, what in the world's gotten into you? You need to go to a counselor. No, he said, get up and eat. Get some rest and eat. Get some rest, slow down, and eat. We make this so hard. In the church, we want to make it. we, We better have a revival to get somebody out of depression. And God's saying, how about you take a weekend off? Take a few naps. Rise up and eat. I, I love this. <laughs> take another nap. Rise up and eat again. <laughs> Vacation, buddy. This is great. Man, who doesn't want to do this? Look what your Bible says. He says, get up and eat. He looked around. He saw there was some baked bread over the coals. in one version says a cake. Amen. That sound even better. A jar of water, so he ate and drank it. What did he do? He laid down took another nap. Wow. So verse 7, the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey's too much for you. I got another cake for you. Man, I wish God would wake me up and say, Hey, man, get up, have some red cake, have some cake, chill out, and when you're done, go back and go to sleep again. Hey, Amen. Yeah, I'm in with this. I love this. And an angel told him. So you know it had to be, you know, he's saying, all right, cool. So he got up. What did he do? He ate and he drank. And he was strengthened by that food and he fasted. Uh, and he traveled, excuse me, 40 days and 40 nights until he reached there. I love it. Listen, this is going to sound sacrilegious, but you've got to hear me. Listen, he was strengthened by the food and the rest, not by prayer meeting or Bible study. Listen, I'm not trying to unspiritualize. I'm not trying to say don't show up to Bible study and prayer time because we desperately need that every day. But logic, just just simply, an angel came and said, "What you need right now is rest and food. You just need to slow down. We'll get to prayer meeting, Bible study later. But right now, you can't even think straight. You're so exhausted. You're ready to rip people's heads off. Just chill out, rest, get some to eat, rest some more. When you feel better, then we'll go to Bible study and prayer." Is this okay this morning? So verse 10, he says, hey, man, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives him the answer. Listen, he had ruminated himself into believing a lie. Twice he tells God what's going on. Here's what he, listen, when the devil's talking, don't buy his lies. Here's what he said. God, I'm all alone. I'm the only one serving you anymore and now they're going to kill me. None of that was true, but the devil had caused him to believe a lie, and now he's ruminating it. He's, he's, he's mulling it over in his mind, over and over and over. You know what the devil will do to you? I'm not going to that church anymore. They don't like me there. I'm not going in there anymore. It's not as spiritual as I want it to be. I'm not going there anymore. It seems like I'm the only one really serving God. And you ruminate and ruminate. Next thing you know, hey, where'd so-and-so go? We don't know. They bought the lie of the devil. Wow. Listen, the devil was telling Elijah he was going to die. He isolated himself. He'll try to tell you you're all alone. You're the only one serving God. He'll try to tell you you're going to die. Listen, don't, don't... don't buy it. In verse 18, God said, man, don't be isolated. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed. Come on Sundays. Come to small groups. You can be with other believers. Look, and when you're depressed and you're not all the way there, you need other believers then more than ever. That's, right. That's not the time to go away. That's the time to draw closer. Listen, have you ever seen National Geographic? You ever seen the little group of gazelles? And, they, you know, their little ears pop up and they're like, do lions. And all of a sudden, they start running off, and then you got the stupid one. And he goes off by himself. And you just know it's coming. You're like, I don't even have to watch. I've seen this show before. He, them, that dude is gone. Sure enough, where do the lions go? Do they attack the group? They go right after the lonely gazelle. And the other ones are like flicking their ears going, don't do it. Don't do it. And what do they do? They go off by themselves, and the next thing you know, the lions are eating them. Listen, it's the lonely, isolated person that gets ransacked by the devil. When the devil tells you to stay out of church, say, liar, liar, pants on fire, I'm going whether I like it or not. When he says, don't go to school, small groups, I'm going whether I want to be there or not. If I have to walk in and everybody says, well, we're glad you're in small groups, say, I don't, I'm not glad. I don't even want to be here. I really don't even want to be here, but I'm afraid to be by myself right now, so help me. Is it okay to get real? Man, what is that? what happens in verse 9? He says, hey, I want you to go get your successor, Elisha. You know what he does? God's saying, look, I never designed for you to be alone. You need a compadre. Go get connected with people again. Go get connected in your small group again, Elijah. You have disconnected yourself from the church body. You have disconnected yourself from small group. You have disconnected yourself from the people who help you. Go get yourself connected again. And under the sound of my voice, there's some of you in here, you've disconnected yourself. You need to reconnect yourself to the body. That's what we're here for. Somebody say amen. Is this okay today? So here's a few, I'm almost done. Here's a few practical things you can do to fight depression. Anybody want to, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to write this down. Amen? <laughs> Simple things and I'm done and we'll pray. Number one, get, get healthy physically. Depression is lifestyle related according to experts. Again, if it can be caused by a lifestyle, then it can be changed by lifestyle. How about nothing digital for 24 hours? How about have a 24-hour sabbatical from social media and what the world pumps in? How How about do something that replenishes you? Get out in the sunlight, man. Get some vitamin D. It's almost warm again. Praise God. Look, Elijah took naps and got up and ate cake. It's okay to rest. Amen? Secondly, experience the presence of God. Man, even though God wasn't in the wind and earthquake and fire, He still created it and He still showed up. You have to create an environment where you meet with God for yourself. God doesn't have a speaking problem, we have a hearing problem. And we need to turn the volume of the world down and the volume of God up. Somebody say, Amen. Create your own sanctuary and don't get up till you've heard from God. Don't leave the prayer closet till you've experienced His presence. Don't walk away from the prayer closet until you know you've been with him. He's the greatest answer, amen? And then thirdly, get a fresh infusion of vision for your life. Listen to this statement. If you are under intense perpetual temptation, it is because you don't have a greater purpose in your life. If you are suffering suffering from great perpetual temptation, it's because you don't have a greater purpose in your life to drive you to. When David and Bathsheba, when that whole thing happened down, he lost his purpose. He was supposed to be at war, and he was bored, and he got himself in trouble. Get God's purpose for your life grounded in you again and go after it. Somebody say amen. Dare to dream again and write it down. Amen. Life will come back into you if you just get a fresh vision of heaven. And I'm just going to close with that. Ephesians 6.12 says this in closing. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Leave this up. Against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Listen to me. Principality. What is a pality? Pality is, is, is a region. So we say we live in a municipality. That means a, a region governed by many. Right? Well, a principality is a region governed by a prince. In this case, a spiritual Demon of some sort. So you're not wrestling against somebody with flesh and blood. You're, you're wrestling against a prince over a region. That's what we're wrestling against right here in this area. And I'm going to tell you in Jesus' name, we're going to get victory over that principality. And when two or more come together and agree as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done to my Father in heaven. The devil wants you to isolate, be depressed. God wants you free and in victory. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. With eyes wide open, look, we, again, we talked about the stigma and all this. If you're suffering from any kind of depression, even slight depression, and you say, man, I just need some help. I, I want you to stand up. There's one right there. I didn't even have to ask him. Just stand up. Man, this is no, if I was to say, hey, do you, you feel like you got a scratchy throat? You need, you need a little prayer for say," You jump right up. This is nothing to be embarrassed about. Here's what I want to do. I I want some of the elders and elders' lives and some of our our prayer people, I want you to go around and find, find these people. Look, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the first step. You'll never be out of depression until you meet Him, have Him in your life. But if you're in some kind of depression right now, there's hope for you. I gave you some practical things, but now we're going to pray with you, amen? You see some of the people out here. Come on, everybody. Somebody, find somebody. Move around the theater. Everybody else, would you stand to your feet? I want you to stand to your feet and just worship. Look, this is a very practical message today. But one, I'm telling you, we need to know. Here's what I'd like for you to do if you're not praying right now. I want you just to worship.